0: The Comedy Channel. Funny. Free.
1: You are listening to the Constant Comedy Podcast with Art Bell and Vinny Favali.
0: Hi, welcome to the Constant Comedy Podcast. I'm
2: Art Bell. And I'm Vinnie Favalli, and I'm super excited to be here this week. Yeah, we
0: got a great guest this week, Vinny. Gail Berman, who is one of the greats in the entertainment business for the last 30 years. It's unbelievable what it's, she's done.
2: It's incredible. There's not a lot of people that I could say I knew when, but she's certainly one of them. Because when we knew her art, she she was just getting her start
0: in TV. And talk about getting to the top of the heap. I mean, she was head of... Fox. She was head of Paramount Pictures. I mean, this is somebody who was, you know, really literally started her television career at the Comedy Channel. She was executive producer of
2: Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. So she's she's been involved in so many things. She's going to do a deep dive into the Comedy Channel years, which are incredible, how she got her start coming off of Broadway. Who wins a Tony Award for Joseph at the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and then decides... I think I'm done with Broadway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, throw my hand into the basic cable TV realm.
0: Yeah, talk about a career switch. But man, she really made the most of it. I'm really excited to speak to her. Let's get into it. Okay. Well, I'm right. see, ready to go. Okay. Yeah. Today's guest is Gail Berman. She's one of the most prolific content creators in the entertainment business, having launched award-winning properties for television, film, digital, and the Broadway stage. Consider this. Gail has produced over 300 hours of television. She's currently the chairman and CEO of the Jacko Group, a production group that produced the cultural phenomenon tidying up with Marie Kondo for Netflix and the Adams Family animated film for MGM. Currently producing Elvis, the musical film for Warner Brothers and a rockin' development slate includes Carlin, a biopic on the life of George Carlin. Man, I think we're going to get into that a little bit with Gail. Gail's position over the years include, and I'm just going to go through it quickly, co-founder, co-owner of digital media company Berman Braun, president of Paramount Pictures, president Entertainment Fox Broadcasting, highest ratings ever with American Idol 24, House and Arrested Development, CEO, Sand Dollar Television, exec producer of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Let's take a breath and go all the way back to Gail's earliest entertainment gig. Gail started her career as Broadway producer at the age of 23, producing Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which got seven Tonya nominations. At age 23, I, I mean, I was a child at age 23, <laughs> didn't you? I couldn't find my way to Broadway at that and, age. You know, honestly. Okay. Gail's list of awards can be summarized in one word. Seriously? Right. Fortune magazine's 50 most powerful women in American business, the Lucy Award recognizing women who have revolutionized the television industry from women in film, Forbes magazines, 100 most powerful women in the world, Brandon Tartikoff legacy award. And in 2006, this is my personal favorite actually. She was a Paley center, she made it honoree. And the reason it's my favorite is because there's no exclamation mark after she made it. It's just <laughs> like, she made it like, you know, of course. Ms. Berman currently serves as president of the Producers Guild of America. That's it for Gail's official bio. Wow. Wait a second. Is something <laughs> missing, Vinny? Something missing? You know what? I noticed there's a certain network that's celebrating
2: its 30th anniversary this year. 30. Uh, so I think we're going to have to, Gail, what are you hiding? What's going on?
1: Well, I, uh, I went to the comedy channel, guys. I've never done a day's work in television prior to that. And it was a seminal experience for me. The, I don't know, less than two years that I spent there, were um, formative, extremely formative. I learned, frankly, I learned everything that I would need to know about television from the startup of the Comedy Channel.
2: How did you get there?
1: It's it's a it's a very weird story. I had been producing on Broadway for a decade, and. Um, I didn't realize when I was 23 years old that my whole life would be about raising money, which is what right. a Broadway producers primary responsibility is. I didn't come from money. I didn't really have lots of money. So I was really burnt out of raising money. And I just didn't know whether or not I wanted to carry on.
2: And you want to Tony, right? I mean, you were successful at it, ironically.
1: I, I was successful at it, but it was um, it was a burden that I knew. I, I mean, it was what I wanted to do. It was everything I wanted to do. And sometimes when your dream happens and it realizes itself in reality, it turned out that I was 10 years in and it occurred to me that maybe I wanted to try to do something else, but I was very scared to admit that. So my husband's work took us to California for a few months, and we closed down the Broadway office. My partner, Susan Rose and Melvin Estrin, we all sort of separated and went. Everybody went to their own corners, and I went to California for three months. I returned from California. I had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, literally, I would get up in the morning, I would get dressed, and I'd sit at the end of my bed, not knowing like what am I supposed
2: to do now? And you're in New York, which is the heart of Broadway. You know, you know. I've been g- working in L.A. now. That's all about TV and movies. New York, you can't walk two blocks. And I just want to add, uh, yeah. Gail's show was Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, among others. But Hurley really did. But that was huge. That won a Tony. Lots of nominations. And uh, so you're back now in New York, not in yeah, that field just not knowing what I
1: wanted to do. And I got a very odd phone call about two or three days after returning home from my old friend, Ah. Betsy Bournes. And she was like, I've been looking for you. Where have you been? I left messages and I said, I know, no, when I got home, I got your message. You remember, there's no cell phones, there's no tech. And I said, yeah, I was going to call you. I just haven't gotten to it yet. And she said, oh, I wanted to talk to you about this thing that's going on called the Comedy Channel. And I was like, what is that? And she said, well, HBO is trying to put this thing together and I think I'm gonna go to work there and I think you should go to work there. And I was like, well, well I don't know anything about television <laughs> for work day in television. And she said, you've got to meet this woman, Bonnie Burns. You have to meet her. She's great. And and obviously we all knew Stu from New York uh, and we knew Julian too. So, and Stu was the boss. And I was like, wait a minute. Stu, <laughs> Stu was, <the> Stu, <laughs>
2: Stu was okay. a, an agent for Rollins okay. and Jaffe. Who we're, we're, were the big management agents at the time?
1: Right. And my husband was a comic and my husband was a comedy writer. So we all sort of knew that circle, Robert Morton, Jeff Ross, Stu, I right. mean, we, we all sort of live in and around the circle, even though I did my own thing. Um, I knew all those guys. And um, so a couple of hours later, I got a call from Bonnie Burns asking me to come in and meet. And I went down to, to uh, the HBO building at 42nd Street because uh, we weren't obviously down at 23rd Street yet. And I went to meet Bonnie, and she said to me, um, "You know what? What's your television experience?" I said, I, "I don't have any." I watch it, and she said, "I'll never forget this." She said to me, "Well, like y- y- i mean, you must know something." I said, "Well, I watch TV, so yeah." Something. And she said, "Well, but." I said, look, I, I work with writers. I know every agent in New York. I don't know it from the television perspective. I know it from the theater perspective. And so she said to me, well, do you know the difference between a three quarter inch oh, tape and a half inch tape? And I looked at her and I said, a quarter of an inch. <laughs> I mean, I your know, first I comedy
2: bit. Not about. You. And oh, I God.
1: believe or not what are actually talking about. It was your first I joke. Love I love it. And so, yeah, yeah. And, but it was totally true. I, I remember it very well. So I think I was very perplexing to her, and but we got on very well. And she said, well, let me think about it. And I was like, yeah, great, great. It was my first job interview in the real world wow.
2: ever.
1: Okay, Because I started my own business with my partner, Susan Rose, producing Joseph shortly out of college. So I had not been in the working world ever. So it was my first job interview. And um, I don't know, the next day or two days later, Bonnie called me and said, hey, you know, we'd like you to come in. And I'm like, well, what, what does that mean? She said, well, you know, we're, we're figuring things out. And I guess, you know, you'd be like an associate producer. And I said, well, what is that? And anyway, nobody really knew anything. <laughs> and then I had a real crisis of conscience. I was, uh, I went, talked to my husband, Bill, and I said, uh, you know, I'm a Broadway producer. My head is like this big, you know, it's very, very difficult to carry (laughs) because it's so big. I can't get it in the doorway. And, uh, and I said, I don't know. I mean, this scares me to start again. And he gave me the great piece of advice I give to young people all the time, and I will share it with your audience. And that is, he said to me, if you want to try it, leave your posters at wow. home. And it's a great metaphoric statement about what you need to do if you want to continue to move forward in your life, which is you cannot take your baggage with you. You can't walk around saying, but you know, I'm a big Broadway producer and now I'm this other thing, but don't you see my posters? Cause nobody gives a shit about your posters. So I left my posters at home. I went down to the office at 42nd Street and I didn't know how to use a Mac. I'd never, never, everybody everybody had a Mac. There was Kiki sitting with her Mac. She knew how to do it. And Bonnie had a stack of scripts that was on the floor and stacks of them, stacks and stacks of scripts. And I came in to see her and I said, um, you know, what do you want me to do? And she just said, well, just start going through these scripts. I said, okay, well, that I can do. And I found a place for myself in the hallway somewhere with a desk and a chair. And I started reading those scripts and trying to figure out how to use a Mac. And that's how it started. And Kiki was Kiki, sitting next. Kiki right. I remember Kiki,
2: yeah. you're bringing up names that I haven't I know. heard in, in decades. It's so nice to think about.
1: So Kiki Kazanis had already been hired and Kiki was sitting sort of next to me and she was typing away because she had worked at SNL and knew how to use a Mac. And she was like, I worked at SNL. And Betsy was like, you know, I I knew Betsy, obviously. And and people were like, well, what, where are you from MTV? I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I was like, look, I'm a Broadway producer. I, 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 I don't. I never worked in TV, but I, you know, anxious to be part of the team. And anyway, it was, um, it was, I don't know, a few months, maybe two months later, uh, they hired Bill Aiken. I remember to Bill too. Yeah, working with MTV. Bill, Bill was the other associate producer. They hired him. They hired me. I had been there a while before Bill arrived. And then when we went down to Twenty Third Street, Bill and I shared an office and he was a wonderful man god bless him and we had a lot of fun together and he came from mtv like i didn't know his world i didn't know his world he really didn't know my world but he was such a fine man and his wife was so lovely and their son Liam was born during this time we got on very well and and they just split the split the st- uh, the shows between us the host shows and so i got Um, Rachel, sweet. I got Tommy Sledge. I got MST-3000. So I was the first actual producer uh, or executive over MST-3000, which was, you know, great and fun and crazy. And when I say that to people, people are like, what? And, And I said, no, it's true. I said, basically, I was like the censor. For mst 3000 i had to watch these horrible <laughs> movies and watch mm-hmm. this stuff just to make sure that somewhere in it joel didn't hide something they were good at it and
2: they were re, they were so yeah. clever were really so clever
1: now did you ever They're sit great.
0: in on the writers meetings or any of those meetings that they had
1: i did I at mst, at M- yeah. at MST was, um well i did a couple of times now they were week, in minneapolis um, they were they did their thing and they they were, they were very good at what they did. And for me, I loved the show so much. I thought it was so, it was so where comedy was going and I loved it so much. It was so clever. And then meeting Joel was quite wonderful. And because I'd never worked in an environment, let a corporate environment, let alone an environment with lots of other people, I really loved that. Um, You know, I loved the idea that I was part of this group and um, it was great. And we hired Maggie Lear and um, Beth was there and um, you know, the Higgins boys, whom I loved, and then subsequently hired Dave to come on Malcolm. And, you know, I, uh, these are people that I became very, very fond of, I think. Um, and Eddie, Eddie Gordetsky,
0: the head writer.
1: So I was going to help hire writers because that's what I was doing, reading all those scripts. And Eddie was, and I looked at, you know, I said, look, we have to hire some female writers for Rachel. You cannot not hire women to write for a woman, which apparently was quite revolutionary wow. for its moment. And um, and Eddie Gordeski said to me, and I'm quoting now, well, if you want to remove 50% of the funny population from anyone who, uh, you know, who, from anyone who, you're going to hire on that show, then you know. Go ahead. So we 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 squared wow. off very early. It was not. It was, it was tough. We've made up many times over the years, but it was. He was. You know, looking at John Wayne Gacy art, and I was like.
2: <laughs> for those who don't right. know, Eddie is a very colorful uh, uh, writer producer. Very successful. He's been in television for ages. Uh, yeah. Well, listen. You know, a, a, a lot wonderful
1: of wonderful guy who, whom I like very much. But at the time, we were sort of, you know, at
0: odds. Uh, yeah, I talk about. Listen, a lot of people squared off with Eddie, including me. I mean, eddie's at said a strip club. Me, the only yeah, that was the story I tell. Uh, the the only thing Eddie said to me for the first six months was, "What do you know about comedy?" That's what he would say. That was his hello, and not much after that, yeah. other than. This story I tell where he he cornered me at a strip club where he took me to lunch, and he said, "I should be doing that's funny. I should be doing your job." He said, and "I said okay." <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing, but um, yeah, he was quite a guy. But there were so many people down there. You you just kind of ran through the list, um, and so many of them have gone on to such crazy great careers. I mean, in comedy and elsewhere.
1: I know, but you know what? You could feel it in the room. I mean, when we hired John Stewart to do Rachel's show, and then this was the first time John ever went on television, doing Rachel's show, doing bits on Rachel's show. Um, that was great. That was amazing and great. Um, Becky Hartman, um, Michael um, Michael Patrick King, who we have. We hired Becky Hartman to write on Rachel. We hired John Stewart to write on Rachel. We hired Michael Patrick King to run Rachel. Um, these were all amazing things. And Michael, every time I see him, and I had lunch with him, I don't know, a year ago or so, he reminds me of when I was supporting him trying to do something creative that that student-like that had Rachel doing a fashion show with Uh, garbage bags and I agreed to dress in a garbage (laughs) bag with Michael in a garbage bag go to Stu's office and defend the piece we were going to do in the garbage bags so we the two Michael and I went down to see Stu in garbage bags and Stu was like what are you doing I'm like I'm just trying to support my guys here you know and there I was sitting in a big black garbage bag. That, that was what I was wearing. I mean, like literally, I didn't have a blouse. And paint.
2: Wow. That was so you, I, I mean, you really... It's amazing because it, it, it's it's so interesting that this is not in any of profiles, and I get it, you know, because it is long. You've done a lot, but just knowing what you've done since that, it all this informs all of that. You're 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 like to me the epitome of a great uh, current executive producer, someone who's really keeping every all, you know, uh, everyone's energy up to get things done, which is like a cheerleader on top of everything else. And it's what you've done your entire career.
1: I know, Vinny, it's a great way to put it. I will say that when I say that I learned everything I needed to know about television at the comedy channel, I learned about, and all right, I'm not sure you'll remember this because you probably would look at me askance again. I I made the mistake of asking in, we were all down on 23rd street and we were going to look at the first day of what the, the channel would look like. I don't know if you remember this day. So what the clips would look like, com- put into the movies, put into the shows, etc. And of course you'll remember it was a disastrous yeah, okay. day. It yeah, was not a great not, day. The best laid plans for all of this were now we were looking at it and, you know, obviously this is what happens and you have to make adjustments and you start to like go, okay. So I said, because I was, you know, an asshole. (laughs) That's
0: why you were hired, right?
1: (laughs) Didn't anybody do any testing on this before you put millions and millions of dollars into it? I say. It's probably not the thing you say when everybody is so upset and so concerned about (laughs) what the hell happens now. And I was like, what's (laughs) wrong with you people? I know I had nothing to do with it. Meantime, I'm as responsible as anybody else. Yeah, but you come from Broadway and you're
2: used to workshopping things and testing things even within the room.
1: how do you you not figure this out before you put these millions of dollars into it so what was really fascinating i had so many interesting you know and i was like you know i came home that night i was like what is wrong with me i i I don't get along with people (laughs) (laughs) but what i learned there i learned how to produce television i learned how to work with much different than theater. I learned how to work in a much more intimate environment with people on a minute-by-minute basis. And I learned how to start a channel, something that art knew very well already. I, I, I learned by listening, not because I was doing it, but I was watching other people do it. I learned that inside a corporation, when a guy like Michael Fuchs, and this is his baby loses his mojo inside the corporation during the time that this thing launches or is in proge- in progress. And the balance gets tipped because the leader is worried about his own corporate life and has other difficulties he's facing. I, I just learned about the politics of that. I learned, and so-, how to I learned make so many things. how to make
2: hundreds so- of decisions every day.
1: I'm every day. Like we're right. doing it, we're making it. Tommy Sledge, uh, the guys want to do a show, and it's going to go all night long. It's a right. Sledgeathon. It's going to. Go I think it was Batman,
2: uh, the Batman serial. I think it was a Batathon or something like that.
1: Batman cereal It was very very exciting. In fact, somewhere in my in my storage unit, I have wow. the tapes from that because I actually think it's an incredible piece of television. I, I, I think that whole thing, I still believe this, that uh, Ron and um, Ron Haugi and uh, Charlie, who ha- who had a love-hate relationship with Tommy, were doing things and sort of stretching his character to the limit, to madness, literally to madness. And being a part of that in a 24-hour period was so, amazing and we had to finish like i i had the riot act read to me like you have to be done at this time don't stay five minutes over and just learning all of that it was like
2: theater in a way when you look at toby sledge they were like monologues i feel like i need to remind our listeners When we talk about the Comedy Channel, which was a short-lived network, which begat Comedy Central, the the, the essential format of the Comedy Channel was this almost collision of two things. And Art, it was an amazing idea, but we had to figure out the right balance. And it was this this blend of VJs, comedian DJs, VJs, much like MTV, only they were mostly uh, comedians, actors, actresses. And they were living in their own world on sets on 23rd Street, and they the necessary evil for them was they had to throw to a constant stream of comedy clips, which may some were funny, some were classic, like Abbott and Costello, some not so much like Police academy Seven you know, <laughs> from that, and it would break the flow, so i you know and and I know a lot of the producers like you Gail, were pushing for let's do more host time and less less uh comedy, and Tommy Sledge had a point of view Describe that what that was
1: well, Tommy Sledge was a stand up who, as a stand up um his character was a film noir right. detective, so he wore the hat and the costume of a film noir guy, who was a hard cup of detective. And mug a mug, cup, cup of coffee, <laughs> cup of Joe, cup of cigarettes, <laughs> and um, he's a little like that guy. Every time I see on um, on T- TCM, they have this guy who does. You know, Every time I see that guy who does the noir thing, I think of Tommy Sledge. Tommy was was very funny in his own way. He was a very unique guy. He, he was older than most of us were. He was married with, you know, he was like a mature man. And we were all like <laughs> idiotic, you know, and he, he looked at it that way, I know. And I was his boss. And I was like, you know, We're not doing that. We're going to do something that's actually funny. And then when we hired people like Ron and Charlie, they were, they had their own view of what Tommy did. And it was sad because um, Tommy had his own view of what he did. He made a living from it and he had made a good living from it. Um, And so he didn't want to touch that. And that, that, that difficulty was, was very hard on him. Um, and he was um, he was a nice man, but he wasn't somebody that I got to know very well.
2: And he seemed like an older. Per- he probably wasn't that old, but he seemed older than Rachel Sweet, certainly.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, he probably was a hundred years old. Like I, I was like, he's an older guy, and you know, this is a young person's world. And anyway, he was quite out of step with it. Um, I think he wasn't happy doing it. I think he had you know, anybody saw, saw the opportunity. But I think we never quite figured it out for him. We couldn't right. help him enough. That was our fault. That was
2: our fault. And, 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 and it, we didn't help him by, like, his the clips weren't even comedy clips. That's the funny thing, you know? We were doing black and white, you know, how to avoid gonorrhea. Like, those kind of videos, you know, like the Rick Prelinger films.
1: I, I watched the movie The Awful Truth, a thousand times at the coming jail. I think it was on the black and white. Awful truth must have been on yeah. every day. Yeah. And I watched it <laughs> a million times. It, it was so crazy. You know, it, it's, oh my I, God. Now really, the, I you know this is, this is amazing. <laughs> no, but let's go
0: back to that part about like, oh my gosh, this isn't working. What are we going to do now? I mean, one of the things I talk about when people ask me about starting comedy, and what the early days were like and how it all got going Most people watching Comedy Central now think the thing was just like blown out of a cannon fully formed and logo, everything, yeah, logo, everything was great. But what I try and emphasize is, man, it was improvisation from day one. I mean, we were just kind of always constantly trying on both sides on air and backstage everywhere. We were just trying to figure out and, and Gail, you said art knew how to make a channel. I was doing this for the first time. Everybody was doing this for the first time. And the one thing we had, and I, I'm going to ask you if this was, was the case, the one thing that kept us going is we wanted to make sure that there was a comedy network in the world. There was a network about comedy and for comedy and all that, uh, whatever it Go ended ahead. up looking like. But we had to start somewhere. So is, is that... Does that characterize it for you, or were you just like so in the trenches at the time that uh, you were you were just like ducking incoming?
1: I don't. I don't think I was that sophisticated to even realize art that it was everybody's first time. I think I was so wrapped in my own head of it being. So my you first were the fish out of
0: water, but yes. so was everybody else. <laughs> that I was
1: like, God! All these people have worked right. at MTV, and all of these people. They know stuff I don't know. So it's very imperative for me to get up to speed to figure it out. Like, I know I would sit at night in my home, in my apartment, and I would draw camera angles for myself. Like, how could we make that little set more interesting? Rachel's set and Tommy's. Like, what could we do? How could I talk to directors? And you know, being in the booth a lot. I'd never been in a booth before. How do I get to learn what a Chiron is? And how how, do, how, how, can that, how can that enhance what we're doing here? And because I didn't know it, I needed, I felt like I needed to work overtime on my own time. And I literally had a pen and a paper and I draw this set out and I go, what if we put the camera here? Would that be cool? Like, you know, the kind of things you might learn in a classroom, um, you know, if you were studying this sort of stuff. But I was actually being paid for it. And so I felt like I better... Well, here's a speed. horror story for
2: you guys. So my job at the time was, I had come from A&E, which was at the time a truly mature network and it was all long form, Nazi documentary and even at the improv, all these World War II docs. So, but my job was to stitch it all together and make it a network. So. Because everything was a la carte. Everything was separate. It wasn't, here's the two-hour Rachel Sweet show. No, here's host segment number one. Clip, 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 promo, ID, PSA, commercial, hundreds, thousands of elements. And I remember everyone gave me everything in my computer. I was at, at the HBO headquarters and i got all of your stuff gail and i put it together and we have our big meeting with michael fuchs right and they're like well what does the network look like because i we had the network in my hand on paper i'm like well the good news is, like, everything is here, but we're about six hours short. Like, I, you know, like, because the computer was really doing the math. At the end of the day, Gail, you know, you've got 17 minutes every Rachel show. And then I got all these other clips coming in. So I was supposed to know what I was doing. I didn't know either. And we were just kind of all figuring it out.
1: Well, this is quite refreshing. I wish I had realized. This is a lot less anxiety for me.
2: Right, right. And I'm getting anxious thinking about it because it wasn't like, I remember Art, when we launched, we were all, oh, shit, we have to do this every night. Like we were building up to the launch and thinking, okay, we're done, right? But it's like, holy crap, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of our lives. And here we are over 30 years later because that was 1989. And Gail, one of the reasons your art wrote this terrific book, Constant Comedy, uh, How I Started a Network and Lost My Sense of Humor, the Comedy Central, which I don't know if you were there for the merger, this is the 30th anniversary of that launch, which was 91.
1: Well, I'll tell you a really funny story. So, um, you know, I was very friendly with Larry David and Laurie Leonard at the time, and they were, they're all good friends of mine. And we all went to the Ha Party together. Do you remember yes, when Ha Yes, remember line? it, yes. So we, the Comedy, the comedy Channel oh, folks, my God. were invited to the Ha Party, so... We all go to the ha party and they give out these t-shirts. Okay. They give out the ha t-shirts. So I get a t-shirt and, um, you know, I'm thinking, Hey, it's so great. We have a comedy channel. They have a comedy channel. It doesn't occur to me that the world can't. They don't want one. A comedy channel. They don't want one, let alone two. So, um, I, I get this t-shirt and. It's the summertime. I guess they must have launched close to the April summer. April Fools,
0: I because, think. Yeah, April 1st.
1: Okay, so I'm wearing the T-shirt out in the Hamptons that a particular day, and my husband and I drive back into the city. So it's a Sunday. I can tell you I was wearing that T-shirt on a Sunday. So we get back into the city. We don't have any food in the house. So I decide to go out to the grocery store. I'm wearing the hot T-shirt, and I go out to the grocery store. And I'm shopping in the grocery store. And who is shopping in the grocery store, too?
2: No By way. Potter, no
0: way.
1: Who lived up the street from me in the fancy part of 81st Street. I did and not. And Bridget Potter, for, for
0: our, our listeners, was the head of HBO programming at the time.
1: So uh, I'm shopping and I see Bridget and I'm like, hi, Bridget. And she looks at me. And she sees that I'm wearing this T-shirt. This is a true story. And I'm like, I don't realize that. I'm like, I'm certainly <laughs> not looking at my T-shirt. I'm just saying, hi. And she comes over to me and she reads me the riot act on the, in the Associated on oh Columbus God. Avenue. What is wrong with you wearing that T-shirt? And I'm like, what T-shirt am I wearing? And all of a sudden, like, I'm like, oh my God the head of HBO has seen me in the the competitor's t-shirt. Oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. This is so horrible. I I keep myself from crying just barely. I get back to the apartment, I tell Bill, I said, it's like a disaster. It's a disaster. (laughs) What is wrong with me? Has seen me in the hot t-shirt. What is wrong with me? Why did I wear? I'd go crazy, but it's a it's a very funny story because at the time that moment in my life, I thought I'm tomorrow. Bridget Potter is going to have me fired because I wore this hot t shirt. Well, she didn't. I'm sure when she left, she didn't remember it. For <laughs> but it was, wasn't the
0: biggest moment but in her day, actually.
1: <laughs> I think it probably wasn't, but she was not kidding, and it was so funny because I thought, oh my god, this is a real this is real world comp- like. She was not kidding. She was like, "We don't, we don't wear the competition." Right. Teacher. If this were Broadway,
2: you would be wearing a grease shirt. No big deal. That you it competed against Joseph.
1: It, honestly, it never have occurred to me, but it was really interesting, and I, 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 it was such a seminal moment. I will never forget it. I was truly quaking in my boots, and I remember years later, Bridget coming to see me when I was the president of Fox, and. I didn't tell her the story, but all I could think about while I was talking to her was getting yelled at. In the I love that story. Group.
0: Well, listen, com- competition in the TV biz is tough, as you know. And as it's soon really as, they, I mean, it, as so- yeah. they announced they were launching, as soon as they heard we announced we were launching, right? As soon as they heard that, they, they put out a press release, we're launching one too. They, the competition from that moment on, it was set. It was, the, it, we were the good guys. They were the bad guys. And that was the end of it, you know?
1: I know. And then, so I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly when Stu left and then John John came in. John Newton. Do you remember?
0: Now that's so interesting because your perspective was from, as I say, you know, you were down there focused on the shows and everything else. John was always Stu's boss.
1: Yeah, stu, I, think I knew stu that, but then Stu, stu-, stu-, stu-,
0: stu-, left. stu-, stu- had free reign, stu- though. Stu really did stu- have free reign. Stu was doing whatever Stu wanted, and that was that was um, which was a good thing. Go- he didn't really leave until the the merger, is what happened. Yeah, but I, but Gail is right. Know.
2: I do remember John taking more of an active role, and maybe yeah. losing yeah. interest. John moved,
0: John moved down. down there. Yes, right. That was it.
1: Called down around three o'clock every day, three or four o'clock, and I'd walk down the hallway and. Maggie would go Yoda and i you go know, by various, like Kiki would go Yoda, walk down and go past some of these offices because I'd get called down into his office, John Newton, and he would ask me questions about what was going on and like quiz me and then I would leave and go back to my office. But that, and that's when I got to know him because even though he was the big boss, I, I had never encountered him. And, you know, he was a guy's guy. Let's put it this way: the, he was he liked the guy shows. He didn't, you know. I was a <laughs> girl, and it wasn't. Believe me, I I wasn't top of no. mind to him. And so, um, you know, he loved sports um, monster. I guess Joe Joe, yeah. Joe Bolster, and he loved uh, John Heyman. You know, these were guys who were very close with my husband. John Heyman was at my wedding, so I mean, I had. I had known all these guys really well, but I was a girl and that's the way he looked at it. And, you know, anyway, there wasn't a club I was going to be in. in. And that actually was the change for me. When Bill's career kept taking him out to LA and I was like, unless I'm going to go back to producing in the theater, I pretty much think I've gotten everything I'm going to get here. And that That was my feeling after John came. So
0: did you leave before the merger? Okay. I
1: did. I did. We moved to Los Angeles um, in in the end of nineteen ninety. Right,
0: because we we merged, we we We, launched in ninety one. Yeah, well the end right. The end of nineteen ninety was when the merger was. So you didn't leave because of the merger. You just said, Okay, I'm done here.
1: Yeah. No, no. I, I yeah. could see the handwriting on the right. wall for me, like, where am I going to fit in all of this? And I could see that the kind of programming that they were interested in was really, it was two sports and boys. And it, it just wasn't for me. But I really did feel that I had gotten to a level because I've been promoted and made from associate producer to executive producer. Thank <laughs> job. <Same> job. you. <laughs> So I don't know the difference, but um I it was just time it was time for me to begin to think but about. But at that point you I felt comfortable
0: in television in a way that you in, I
1: totally in a way that felt you comfortable. Didn't so in- I knew if I went to LA, I could be a yeah, You were there as a, a difference than
0: the last time you went, we
2: were just coming off of, of uh, Broadway.
1: Exactly. Where I didn't ha- I, I was really lost. And this had given me um, a real ballast. Because I got to watch so much. I participated in so much writing and producing and, and learning, uh, directing in the booth and all of that, watching a network being formed, watching a network launched. I mean, the intimacy that we had was so incredible, was so... there. It, you know, it was like the inmates running the asylum, which was fantastic. Yeah, that studio, running.
2: HBO Downtown, it was weird because almost like a mini back lot, you know, everywhere. You didn't have sound stages. Everything would turn the camera to the left. And there's another set and another. But it was it was a factory at which you ended up running the much larger versions in, in the future years.
1: Yeah. And for me, you know, um, Akira Yashimura, who had built the 23rd Street um, studio. He did he SNL,
2: right? It. Did he do SNL? Yeah. Yeah.
1: He Leo Leo Yashamur was from SNL, but I knew his brother who was a playwright. So his brother is a very accomplished playwright, and so I I said to him, "Are Are you his brother?" And no, like no one knew that his brother was a an Asian American playwright who had really some ex, uh, esteemed work and he leo was like oh my god and he didn't want to be called leo at the time he only wanted to be called akira i don't know why but it <laughs> was just to me <laughs> he was Like, don't call me leo <laughs> with I'm your
2: like, hot shirt on
1: <laughs> with my hot shirt on but um you know he was an he was a he was a real visionary the studio itself the building was not suitable for his vision but his vision was incredible his vision was this whole place is the place the comedy channel is you know we should be able to go into gail's office with a camera there and just shoot whatever it is she's doing because we can figure out how to make that funny and believe me that was (laughs) probably true but but the vision for it was really quite something. And in retrospect, being 30 years ago, it was, it was an amazing thing. So much really, about those
0: days was experimental. I mean, that whole studio concept, the whole idea of a channel as a place, as opposed right. to some kind of mythical thing behind the, you know, people didn't relate to channels like that in those days, but we wanted to be a place. Yeah, it was amazing. And we were doing digital for the first time, as Vinny knows. Right. Yeah, I know. everything was uh, and, like a jukebox, and,
1: and everything was was uh, you know. Nora Ephron used to use uh, the quote was um, everything is copy. You know, whatever goes on in your life is 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 available to write about. That was the way it was at the Comedy Channel. Everything was up for being
2: funny. What were your comedy interests backdating pre-comedy like what did you what did you grow who were your comedy heroes? Well
1: I grew up in Long Island and I lived next door to a, a comedian a Catskills comedian Which one? Mac Robbins and if you if you see the Tom Hanks movie where he plays the stand up the old comic in that movie is Mac Robbins.
2: Oh, wow. And
1: Mac Robbins, uh, do you know Sue Kalinske? Do you know her? Yes. So Sue, Sue's family and my family were very close to the Robbins, but the Robbins lived next door to me. And um, in the summertime, they would close up their house and they would move to like a bungalow in the Pat- right. Catskills because he did this Catskills circuit. And he did that with people like Toadie Fields and um, Pat Henry and, um, oh, God.
2: Corbett Monica, maybe. A lot of the guys from Broadway, Danny Rose, the opening of Broadway, Danny Rose. Yeah.
1: So sometimes during the summer after their shows, they would drive down. They would drive down from the Catskills to their house, to Mac's house. His wife's name was Stella. And the house was closed up. Because there was nothing, you know, they had the house closed up. So they would come over to our house and my mother would make them breakfast and things like that.
2: You're so lucky.
1: So I got to see Toadie Fields. Like, I got to see some of that as a child. And that was, to me, it was incredible. Like, that was my, that was so show business. Like, and then I sometimes saw those people on, um, on, on, like, Ed Sullivan, who was amazing. Like, I couldn't believe it, that somebody who was sitting right. in my kitchen then I would see on Ed Sullivan, it was too much. So that was my only, I didn't know anything about show business. I, it was like, to me, that was, Mac Robbins was the most glamorous man in show business.
2: So did you, was Lucy like a presence in your life growing up, like on TV, Lucille Ball and yeah, that girl and, would, and shows I like that?
1: So, absolutely. But, um, you know, I watched, on TV, I watched a lot of um the million dollar movie all weekend long yes
2: same movie every night right
1: um so i had a talk about film noir i had a canon of film noir and and um sort of melodrama that was my that was what those were the movies movies that I, i watched
2: well that's why right and theater was a perfect gateway for you. Yeah. Well, that's, what,
0: that's what I was going to say. I mean, you ended up going, you ended up going into theater, not television, yeah. even though you sort of watched a lot of television. What was think, that decision about? I mean, because, why theater uh, and not television?
1: My mother went, my parents took us to the theater and it was the most glamorous place on earth to me. And um, I would go with my mother to the matinees because she would go with the, you know, whatever group she was, you know, we never actually got a regular ticket, it was group ticket. Um, And I knew from the earliest age that this was, I had to do this, whatever this was, I was going to do it. Because it was the most extraordinary glamorous thing on earth to me. And nothing would ever, nothing would ever be like that. Like that's, whatever it is, this is what I'm doing. And it, it it never varied. I knew from the earliest age that I was going to go into
0: the theater. So, so through high school, you you know did the theater thing oh, the whole yeah. time, and
2: college. college, and and theater built on comedy and music. So, I mean, your comedy um, tools were sharp in theater.
1: Plus, also, I married a comic, so you know, my <laughs> husband was performing in all the clubs. I mean, that's how we knew Bolster. That's how we knew Hayman. That's how we knew all, all those people. And, you know, then he would turn to comedy writing. And, you know, obviously that became a much more successful avenue. But so I knew that world, you know, after I would be f- finished in the theater for a an evening, I would go to the comic strip and meet Bill and he'd go on and, you know, we'd have a drink and then we'd go home together. So I spent a lot of my of my time there. You know, I lived in sort of two different universes.
2: And then, ironically, uh, the Comedy Channel was a tremendous help to the stand up world in in the. Early years, we almost killed it but by oversaturating. We we were buying cheap stand-up video from clubs and packaging, you know, fr- from producing Rachel. Well,
1: then, didn't we do stuff from Carolines and?
0: Yeah, we 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 did we did our own production, we of sliced that. and diced, and then we sliced you know, and diced. You know, it.
1: and Caroline is a good friend of ours. And <clears throat> didn't we have a guy there that came? He wasn't he was like a um a broadcaster he came to run the place for a little while he had he had a, a one of his fingers was cut off
0: you're not talking <sighs> about tommy Schlamy. is that one of your
2: film noir movies
1: <laughs> tommy Schlamy was rachel's director so i i mean i loved it you know, yeah yeah tommy,
2: tommy it. Really i remember cut his finger great director off. I, i'm curious who's the the, the one uh, the missing finger running yeah, it
1: is. They brought in an executive. He wasn't, he wasn't really Was it there. John Fisher?
2: Not John Fisher. Oh,
1: no. John John was there the whole time. He's got
2: 10 fingers, too.
1: This was a guy. He's on. He was on TV in New York. He was a local guy. And he was a host. And they brought him as an, as an executive. Art, don't you remember oh, this?
0: I vaguely remember this. He,
1: and so yeah, for he was a minute, a guy, like yeah. a month, yeah. I had a report to this guy.
2: Really? Oh, we have to find out who that is,
1: Art. Well, I, I, it's coming He's, to me. I see his face perfectly.
2: Art, you're like a bad psychic. It's coming to me. I'm know getting me.
0: something. <laughs>
1: But, but this He's is nine fingers. The, this oh, no is thing. to the
0: point. This is how crazy things were at that time because you know you mentioned that Michael was going. Oh my gosh, what have I just done? Right, he was really worried about it. They were throwing at one point. They were just throwing everything they could down there and saying, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this place?" You know.
1: Right. right. Well, I I didn't have the intimacy of the knowledge that you had, Art. I could just sort of sense it. Um. You know, just having my antenna up. But I'm sure and. I see the guy's face so well. He was a local personality, New York personality. And then for like a month, I was supposed to report to him and I did. And I was like, he doesn't know anything about that. Like, I mean, okay, well, whatever. He's the guy I'm supposed to report to him. And I did, Um, and he had, he, he's an interviewer and a New York personality whose name I cannot think of was he on camera
2: as well with comedy channel or he was just behind the scenes. person? I
1: don't think he was ever on channel. So what was the
0: idea? Did they explain it to you? We're bringing this guy in because he knows a lot about x and you're going to talk to him about that he
1: knew a lot about television and how to do stuff and
0: how to watch it.
1: Maybe I don't know. But I I wish to God I, I know he's I know I've seen him since then. Um, that's almost like to
2: we brought in Robin
0: Bird to, to yeah. <laughs> that cable, which would have been better, probably. Well, she, did lot, she knew a lot about
1: cable. She should have. Been.
0: Yeah, she was. She was a broker. She probably would have been helpful. But you know, the idea that we were at HBO, which is probably one of, the, if not the most innovative, successful television entity in the world at that moment. They're bringing people in from local <laughs> <But with laughs> nine figures to, to solve the problems. Well, That's it's interesting.
1: You know, uh, Carolyn Strauss and I became very friendly during my time at the Comedy Channel, and she was at HBO. And I think to myself, why can't I be over there? Oh wow! They all seem like they they have like they got it together. But um, anyway, but for me, I have to say it was. An incredible, incredible time and experience, and I actually loved it. I loved it.
2: Love hearing that. I love hearing that. Yeah, you've you've so rekindled nice. so many memories in my mind now.
1: We have so to I, find out who that guy was. Yeah, we will. Who's yeah, we, yeah, we know.
2: when we do our postscript to this interview. We'll yeah, and we'll, we'll let you know it. as well. Oh, yeah. And we'll it,
0: yes,
1: absolutely. He was there. I, I would say a month that's my memory
2: of it we'd love to have you back because you've done so much i mean you you got a taste of the cult classic mystery science theater because you've gone on to produce and and green light many shows that probably broke your heart that weren't as successful as they should have been but what was the, the the first job why don't we just like wind it down with that the first job after comedy channel When you went to L.A. with Bill, what?
1: I went to L.A. and Bill had signed a two picture deal at Disney. He had sold a movie to them and then they bought another like a they bought one script and then they hired him. These are the old days when they did this sort of stuff to do another script, too. So we went and right before I left, literally packing, I got a call from an old friend named David Goodman, who is the of the Writer's Guild, David Goodman. Right, right. David Goodman was in LA and he and his then writing partner were working on a show, a television comedy called Babes. I don't know if you remember it. It was on the Fox network. It was about three overweight women. And it was being produced by a company called Sand Dollar. And that was a company that was owned by a man named Sandy Gallen and Dolly Parton, Sand and David said to me, Abby Wolf, who's our mutual friend, told me you're moving to L.A. And I know that this company is looking for a television executive. Can I, would you like me to give them your name? I was like, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what I'm going to do when I get there. So David Goodman gave this woman named Candace Farrell my name. And Candace was then running Sand Dollar. And, um, she called and I gave David, we had set up uh, an answering machine in our new place in LA. We didn't have any furniture, but I had an answering machine. <laughs> and, and so she called and left a message on that machine. And when we got to LA, I got the message and she said, oh, we're looking for somebody. And I hear you're great. And, and I called her and the comedy channel was a very good calling card. It was like, I was there. I, I helped start the channel. I was the associate producer of a bunch of shows. And then I became the executive producer. So I did shows and I started a channel. And that was like, well, she's, you know, and comedy was. Uh,
0: that's uh, amazing. And
1: so I I became a commodity based on my, not because I was a Broadway producer, but because of my almost two years, I think, at the Comedy Channel, maybe the year. That's year that
0: is, that's. Such an interesting story because, you know, we just spent the last hour talking about what a crazy madhouse it was and how things were not always going so well, to say the least. And there you do. You walk into Hollywood and people say, hey, great. Hey, you
1: you were part of a cable startup. You were part of you produced. you know, how to you could do stuff. um, You could do a talk show if you wanted. Uh, because I'd learned how to do stuff in the booth. I mean, the experience that I wound up getting, I didn't know, you know, this is a great, great example of my resume. You know, I can produce Buffett the Vampire Slayer and Marie Kondo's tidying up, both cultural phenomenons in their own way, but so different that you don't usually find people who are doing drama or comedy or reality television. They sort of do one or the other. I've just never had to do that. I just sort of do what I'm interested in and it's worked for me very well. And oh, yeah. um, so, you know, I'm making feature films now and I'm doing the, a new show that's gonna be announced on Fox today with Domino's. Um, you know, I, I just do the things I like to do and it's worked out for me pretty well.
0: Well, to say it's worked out for you is an understatement I and mean, you've had an incredible run. I mean, the it's- shows that you
2: greenlit even your time at Fox, you know, American Idol, I mean, these are cultural phenomena. And there were a couple that, like I said earlier, may have broken your heart, like uh Greg the Bunny, you know, that those some of those were like
1: Greg the uh- Bunny.
2: Yeah, people. You know what's funny? Like with the Velvet Underground, not a lot of people bought their albums, but everyone formed a great rock band. And <laughs> and and the same thing, like Mystery Science Theater. Your show, all these shows you're associated with. The ones that didn't make it went on to become the people went on to do other great things, oh, like yeah. you, you know, like yeah. you from Comedy Channel. Well, yeah, Steve right.
1: and Greg the Bunny. I, you know, it's just I I have to say, mostly everything that. I mean I loved my years at Fox. The only thing I didn't love was my two years at Paramount Pictures because that was a very it was a very
2: but they were in a fly. I mean that wasn't you that was that was a very really turbulent
1: time then. And, yeah it was um, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time right. but uh, I learned a lot and you know you sort of if you can take away if once you you sort of uh heal yourself a little bit and and lick your wounds you know, you can look at what other people did wrong. And then you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, well, maybe I could have done X, Y, and Z better. I don't know that the outcome would have been different. But I think that um, I think I could have done better in the circumstances. But I because I think you have to be honest with yourself about stuff. like that.
2: Right. I think that's right. I mean, you've I think- had so many new chapters you get it. it's almost like you're 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 reincarnating in this one life many times and you're fixing the things that maybe weren't perfect the previous time
1: Well, you know um mst believe it or not gave me some geek cred probably not as much as much as buffy did but um i you know just if you look if you're looking for the passion in your life and your career and the work you're doing it's a strange thing. You you can get really interested in lots of different things and the only thing keeping you from doing them is yourself. So it's it's a lot about reinvention, but it's also just about it doesn't even feel like reinvention at some points. It just feels like, well, this is, you know, this is what I'm interested in now. You know, when Lloyd and I became partners and it was about the digital world and I didn't really know anything about that and you know, that became an education for many years and, you know, building a company and then selling that my half of the company and all the kinds of adventures that I've had are, are wonderful. I mean, not everybody looks at things that way. And I understand that because, you know, you got to put your energy out there yet again, but it's been a wonderful career because I've just, I've just, I don't
0: know. I just like, keep going. Well, you, know, you your are ability to get interested in whatever you're doing is really admirable. I mean, that's, that's something that, that I think came up for me several times, you know, I was doing comedy and then I wasn't doing comedy. I had to do something else. And I ended up at core TV and people say, well, how'd you, end? how'd you, what kind of switch is that? And I said, you know what? I got fascinated by what I was doing at Court, right. and it was really, really fun. Right. So, you know, I, it's nice to hear that that's something you built your career around as well. That just whatever, whatever you're doing is what you're doing and you're focusing on it and you're going to do great.
1: Yeah. You um, know, it's funny, Art. Uh, I'm sure lots of people were like, well, what you doing now? And well, you know, I, you have to close yourself off from that because that, that kind of stuff can kill you and it it's everywhere. We all know that. So that kind of criticism is, um, it could, it can eat away at you of course, but, um, I don't know once I had my kids and I, I, it just felt like if I'm going to work and be away from my family, it better be for something really great. Yeah, no
2: kidding. <laughs> well, well, you have a lot yeah. to show for that. We're, certainly. And enjoyed the hundreds of hours you've been involved in. No kidding. Speaking
0: for myself, absolutely. And, and we'll all say thank you for that. Yes. Thanks for all that that television you've given and movies you've given us. Listen, Gail. I mean, I, I hate to gush, but it was really wonderful oh, to I'm you know so spend some time with that. someone you know so, so exciting, so who's done so much in the industry Thank and you. to think we still that have
1: both of you. I mean, let's face
0: yeah. it, Vinny. you know
1: Vinny and Les Moonves. Yes.
2: I, I. You know what's funny? Later in my career, Gail, I did. The opposite of you, I went into theater. Yeah, I wrote and produced a musical, which I don't think I knew was it. Oh yeah, yeah, a Hereafter musical. We did it at uh, Theater Eighty in East Village, right. at the Snapple Theater. <laughs> And, it, and and in Argentina, in Spanish. But it's so funny because everything you said about theater, it will break your heart. Like, you would think the hard part would be, for me, to write 20 songs and co-write a book. That was the easy part, apparently. Raising the money was the nightmare. I had to mortgage my own house. I know. It's it, amazing
1: so. what you'll, you'll think about doing to get that money.
2: Yeah, it, it truly is. So uh, that's why you're, you're a role model for me in many ways, and I really appreciate your time with this yeah, yeah it thanks for so
1: fun going down the memory lane of the Comchan as we like to call
2: it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Comchan. I like Com-chan.
1: that. Um it's so funny. You know, I remember this is just a little anecdote. When when we hired Scott Carter, this just shows you how we just did things on the fly. We didn't have any rules. Um Scott hadn't done uh, this is I think we were hiring to be the producer of Alan Havy's show. And right. Scott who I knew as a stand-up because I knew him from my husband. He uh, he had an agent named Fifi Osgard at the time, and um, I said, "Well, we'll try him out for a week, one week." Um, and she was like, "Well, you know, who tries somebody out for a week?" I'm like, "That's it. We'll try him out for a week. Like that's the way we do things here." And I remember that. And of course, Scott has gone on to have such an extraordinary career.
0: We had him on. Oh last God. week. He was, he was wonderful, here. Yeah.
1: Funny and a wonderful man with a wonderful family. Um, but I remember just saying, look, it's it's sort of a take it or leave it. It's a, it's a week. And, you know, obviously it lasted much longer than a week. But um, just so, so many fun things that we were able to do because there were no rules.
2: That's exactly That's- right. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, love that. I
0: love that you mentioned one of our guests. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he is he's an amazing guy.
0: He is an amazing guy. And we had a fun time talking to him, too. But we certainly had a fun time talking Thank to you, you, Gail. Thank you very much for being here. And, uh, uh, my hope you can pleasure. Say
1: and you guys are great. And good luck with this.
2: Art, we've spoken to a lot of people on this podcast. Lori Zacks, current executive, producer, creator. Scott Carter, talk show world, producer, creator, writer. And Mitch Semmel network executive, creative people, great people, but we've never spoken to someone like Gail, who is, with her background, was was the person that ultimately would decide, when she was at Fox at least, what shows would go on the air. She was everyone's
0: boss. You know what I liked about this interview? She told stories that I hadn't heard. About Comedy Channel. About Comedy Channel, yeah. I mean, we were there, but we couldn't, you know, you and I couldn't be everywhere at once. So we heard a lot of it, you know, a lot of what she was going through at the Comedy Channel on the studio side. On the studio side for the first time. It was great.
2: And we figured out the name, by the way, of the executive who was missing a finger. That was her boss for two weeks Bill Boggs. Remember Bill Boggs? I remember Bill Boggs. I remember when he came in. I don't know that he was the guy for Comedy Channel, and I don't remember back then, you know, the logic behind it. But he was a pretty big figure in New York. This is the guy who was doing all the major interviews on on Fox Channel Five. It wasn't even Fox at the time. Well, it was. I
0: remember, it was. I, yeah, I remember when he came in. He had kind of star quality. You know, he had that. You know, he's a good looking. Right broadcaster looking kind of guy. And he was
2: good in the talk show. Where, I mean he he interviewed Jerry Lewis and Frank Sinatra. I mean yeah, he interviewed all of the greats. So I guess he had the right pedigree, but it was it was uh I love the way Gail was like trying to sort out, you know, what he's my boss now. And she was trying to make sense of it all because there was a lot of turmoil and change. And as you say, we could not be everywhere. We were at the home office at HBO on 42nd street while they were at the quote unquote studio hbo downtown
0: although i was up and down i have to say yeah i was up and down you went up and down a lot of different ways yeah. emotionally no kidding. no kidding um i just got to comment on one thing too she she told that story about when we first looked at a demo reel of the host throwing to the clips and we put the whole thing together and it was going to look like the channel. And, and everybody was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I put that was in my book, but yeah. it wasn't the whole story of the meeting. It was just like, I, I picked it up where I was back at, at my desk and talking to John Newton and Stu Smiley about how, <laughs> how horrifying it was. We had a lot of work to do, but you know what we did? The, we did the work. We got the channel together and Gail was part of that.
2: She was a big part of it and so thrilled for her many successes. In the time since uh, we did that interview, she uh, announced uh, uh, her production company, and she has a deal with Fox right now, they're doing a new uh, reality show or game show based on Domino's.
0: Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Wow, that's great. So she's she's right. yeah. still yeah. getting we'll, it done. That we'll was continue, very exciting. Continue to watch, uh, watch Gail in action for probably for many years to come.
2: Absolutely. Well, Art, this was another great show, I think. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Vinny, for sharing it with me.
2: Yes, you too, Art. Art, I think you're going to have to do a sequel to the book with all this <laughs> new information that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I I
0: I'll have to see about that one. Call it, it Constant it'll be, Conflict. It it'll be a short sequel if, if there is a sequel. I put I put all the best stuff in there, man. No it was great and,
2: and there's a lot of sides to you did an amazing overview and from your perspective, which is great since you're the one who had the original idea, but what I love about these podcasts is that we get a, a another viewpoint, you know, every week yep. from different yep. people uh yep. not only on comedy channel comedy central but even on the uh, comedy the uh, comedy overall because a lot of these people especially like gail have gone on to do incredible things so that's it for this week okay uh, i'm art bell i'm vinny Favali, and we will see you next week
0: What was that?